0: The Things We All Carry is a podcast about first responders and their stories surrounding trauma on the job. The intention of this podcast is to raise awareness and share meaningful conversation around a subject often viewed as taboo or simply ignored. Be aware this content may be graphic and it is real. It may not be suitable for children or adults triggered by this subject matter. Welcome to episode 56 of The Things We All Carry and welcome to part two of my conversation with Brian. In this episode, we discussed the line of duty death of Kyle Wilson. Kyle was a firefighter in Virginia who lost his life in a house fire in the early morning hours of April 16th, 2007. You can learn more about Kyle and this fire by going to YouTube and searching FLSTP Kyle Wilson. On that fateful morning, Brian was the officer of the first arriving rescue squad. He and his crew made numerous attempts to find and rescue Kyle. Once conditions became untenable, all crews were ordered to evacuate, and tragically, Kyle lost his life. Brian shares his experience with both the fire and all that transpires following that day. Brian retired roughly 16 months ago after a 34-year career. Drawing from an extensive fire career in which he experienced numerous highs, lows, and absolute tragedies, Brian spent a few hours sharing his thoughts and shining a light on what we all call the job. He will be the first to tell you that he didn't do everything correctly through the years, but he will also tell you he wants his story to serve as a cautionary tale. One purpose for coming on the show is the hope that someone can learn from him and avoid the traps and the pitfalls he's fought so hard to overcome. A quick reminder to please help us build a community which not only recognizes, but supports each other through the struggles and recovery. Reach out through Instagram at thethingsweallcarry or email mystoryatthethingsweallcarry.com to offer support and share your story. Please remember to leave a review on iTunes and give a shout out to any first responder you know, love, or care about. Y'all enjoy this show. Now, I'm going to be getting
1: married, I'm going to be getting a job that I want, and my fiancé gets pregnant. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> All right, now I'm going to be a dad. Now I need this job Um. So this happens in 96 when she gets pregnant, we ended up pushing our wedding up and getting married earlier um, in our July of 96, 96. We were supposed to have a fall wedding. And then that summer also I get phone calls saying, hey, you want the job still? Yeah, of course I want this job still. All right, we need you to come out and just do uh, another physical fitness test. And so I go out, I do my physical fitness test again. They put me through a polygraph again and I get hired to start recruit school in September. Now things starting to fall together. I'm excited. This is freaking awesome. Recruit school is a blast. And it was probably one of the best times of my life in the fire department. You know, we had... Great group of people. We were a huge class, so one of the largest that the county had hired at, at the time is what they were telling us. We graduated, we started with 25, we graduated 24. And the only reason we graduated 24 is because one of the people in our class got a job offer back where she lived. So she went back home and got that job. But yeah, recruit school is great. Um, my son is born in December of that year. And I'm still in school, but they worked with me, gave me the day off from school to be with my wife and him being born and everything. And it just, things are going good. Things are great right now. Can't wait to graduate at the end of December and get out in the field. And my first assignment is on the east end of our county, which is where I volunteered at. I was actually shocked that I got an assignment on the east end of the county. I figured I was going out west, get me away from where I volunteered at. But I had, went to a great firehouse. I had a fantastic crew there. Didn't make the greatest impression on them on graduation night, partially because of parents, (laughs) my parents being at the uh, graduation. One of them started a fight or an argument or was causing some issue because of my son. We're not going to get into that, but because I was dealing with that and then my crew wanted to come up and meet me and I was stressed beyond belief because of what was happening with the family. And my wife's in tears crying and I'm just like, oh my God, they want to come up and like, okay, I want to meet you guys too, but I got to deal with something. I'll be back. That didn't set very good. So my first couple of weeks in the firehouse weren't the greatest in the world just because they did not understand what was going on or what I was dealing with at the graduation, but things, it was, it was a, a great firehouse to start off. In. I had a fantastic crew and my there was a captain there at the time he ended up getting moved out a lieutenant came in and we had a little bit of changes here or there i was there for two years and it was great i learned so much every day we worked six o'clock in the morning until six at night we went to 12-hour shifts four days a week and just monday through friday that was the six o'clock at night getting off put me at home a little bit later which is hard to deal with when you had an incident at home but It was still, it wasn't bad. It was good because I was home on the weekends, home for the holidays. It really wasn't that bad. And yeah, I was living my dream now. I had a job as a fireman. What could be wrong? Learning everything that I can because I get turned over as an engine driver and we're running a lot of good calls. At that time, where we were, our firehouse was a good distance from all the others. So we had time. We got to an incident. We were there by ourselves for a little bit. We had time to do things. Sorry, I learned a lot. It was really good. We had assistant chief in for lunch one day and just sitting around having the talks and telling the stuff and conversation was brought up about putting extra people in medic units. And of course, um, I have to bring up, why are we putting an extra person for four or three or four people in the medic unit when we should put that? person on the engine companies and have four person engine companies and four person truck companies. So that conversation went on a little bit more and I wasn't obnoxious or rude about it because I know the Lieutenant that we had, he would have shut it down if I had gotten out of place. And so we had to, what I thought was a really good conversation. Little did I know that this really kicked this guy off and ended up, a transfers come around. So. I get transferred out of that station, and uh, this individual is pretty adamant that I had to go. So the battalion chief gets out of the transfer meeting, calls the lieutenant up and says, hey, I'm on my way to the firehouse. Brian's been transferred. We need to have a talk. And the lieutenant comes out and forewarns me what's going on. I'm like, okay, this is weird. So he gets down there, and the three of us go into the office together. We're sitting there having a talk. and. Battalion chief flat asked me, what did you do to piss him off? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't have a clue. And the only thing that came to my mind was a conversation that we had at that lunch about staffing. And I'd voiced my opinion about staffing and that we should have peop- more people on engine and truck companies and what we should have on medic units. And, but anyway, they will say I get transferred to the fire academy. I get put in a logistics position and that was a... Uh, I guess the awakening of what happens to you when you speak your mind, because at the academy, it wasn't easy. The battalion chief at the academy was always watching and seeing what I was doing. I would get talked to by the captain or the lieutenant that I worked for all the time about something that, I was doing, I got in trouble for having a picture of the IAF IAF logo on my desk. The battalion chief came in one day, one night and got onto my computer and went through and searched the history and found out that I was on the international's website. I was on the international's website because myself and some of the instructors were doing research on firefighter fatalities, that they were putting some things together for a written Mayday class. The teacher recruits and one of the instructors was looking for the latest updated, how many firefighters have passed away in the line of duty to be able to use this in his class. And that's one of the resources that we used, but it was me going to it, doing union work. That's how it got played. That's how it got played. And that's not what, not what it was, but I, now I'm starting to feel that I can't do anything right here. Everything that I do or everything that I I'm being watched. I'm being I got a battalion chief and why in the world would a battalion chief come in and want to go through my computer and look at what I'm doing. And why would
0: he care if you're doing that anyway?
1: Exactly. But that the Academy, I was a really that was a bad assignment, but it was a punishment. It was a punishment because I said the wrong thing to somebody or I voiced an opinion. And needless to say, that's going to happen <laughs> again and again throughout my career, because I don't hold back. And sometimes I said to, or say things that upset people, and that's just the way it is. But anyway, yeah, so the academy, I'm there for a few months. We, I get promoted to the next step up, get assigned to a, another engine company. This time I'm on the west end of our county. I'm in a rural firehouse. We're a tanker and stuff there, so now this is totally new to me. I'm used to being on the other end of the county where we run a lot of calls, we have fire hydrants, and now I'm at a slower firehouse and have to learn this rural water supply stuff. It's okay. I got promoted and this is another aspect of the fire department, another aspect of our county. We got some good people in the firehouse and my time there wasn't the greatest time there, only because of the leadership that we had in the firehouse or it wasn't uh, our officer, it just, Wasn't really supportive of us, all of us as a crew, but we did our own thing. We went and when he was off, we'd go to the fire academy because it was right there in our due and go do training and things like that. We would all get in trouble for going there and get training, believe it or not. But we would go and do things and uh, thank goodness that assignment only lasted two years, but it was also to the point where I was getting, starting to get really frustrated and we had a new battalion chief coming in. And uh, once I new battalion chief, and I already had a good relationship with the, the, this battalion chief. He knew me from when I was a volunteer, cause he was a captain at the firehouse on the east end of the county. So I already had a good relationship with him and, um, he came into the firehouse and his first day I walked up to him and says, I hate to do this to you chief, but I got two letters, one's a resignation and one's a transfer. I need to go. And a week later, I was transferred back to the assignment that I was at originally on the east end of the county, which I'm glad he accepted that letter and not the other letter. But it was even the volunteer fire chief at that station. Things were that bad that he even got involved in it. And I think he had a big or he helped with getting me transferred out in a good way, in a bad way. I think it's just because of leadership. That's all. So back on the east end of the county and. I'm loving. Things are good. Calls are still going on. You run crappy calls. You just put it away. I've got a great assignment. The other senior guy that I'm working with, actually, he's more senior than I am, that I'm working with. He's a great fireman. I'll learn a lot from him. We have rookies coming into the station out of every class, so we're doing a lot of training all the time. And it's a good assignment. I get a new, or uh, we have uh, one lieutenant move out, another lieutenant come in, and... That lieutenant did a lot for me. He gave me a lot of responsibility, but was also setting me up on the path for the next step to become a lieutenant myself. He gave me a lot of responsibility to include even doing evaluations on the recruits that I was mentoring. I would do their six month evaluation and he would look them over and sit down and talk to me about it and teach me how these things work. And that was really good. And that that meant a lot. It also set the stage that when I took the uh, lieutenant's test, I got promoted pretty quickly off of that. And my lieutenant there at the firehouse, he retired, and I ended up taking his spot at the firehouse. So now I'm thinking, oh, wow, this is fantastic. I get to stay here at this firehouse. We were on a lot of calls. And now I'm the lieutenant here. And I got a great crew. (laughs) This is awesome. This is great. Then another opportunity pops up, which at first it was really intimidating, but I took the, or I didn't really have a choice. It was happening anyway. So our battalion chief comes in and says, Hey, we're going to make me, you're going to the rescue company and we're moving the rescue lieutenant here to this station, we got to whatever's happening over there, they had to do something. So they switched the two of us. So now I'm going, wait a minute, I'm a brand new lieutenant. I just took over an indie company, and now I'm going to a rescue, and I'm going to a rescue that I used to volunteer on. <laughs> uh, I'm not ready for this. I've been out of the tech rescue world for a, a couple of years now because I really hadn't touched anything or done anything with it since I got hired by the county. And we're talking about five, four years now, or something like that. And now I'm going back to the rescue, and uh, no, I, actually, it's longer than that. It was. 2003 when this happened. Yeah, 2003. So it's longer than five years. So it was, I knew all the guys there. There was a really good group of people on that rescue. They knew their jobs. They were good at their job. And here I am, brand new lieutenant coming into it and their lieutenant is getting taken away from them. So that's another sticky thing. You know, how are you going to be accepted? And just nothing about this transfer set right with me, but I was going to take on the challenge and do it and it ended up being one of the best assignments of my career really i loved it the guys they took me under the under their wing they taught me brought me up to speed on everything we were training every day on everything and um i learned a lot from them. and i also had that other lieutenant the lieutenant who was there i had him to fall back on he was just down the road from us i was able to call him up ask him questions talk to him whatever i needed he was there for me so what started out to be, holy shit, what am I, where am I going? And this is not for me, ended up being a great assignment. I mean, it, everything worked out.
0: Yeah. And this is one of those units at the time that was running a ton of calls. And if something needed to be done that nobody else could do in the county, you were called upon, right? We were, we had, we were
1: the only rescue company in the county at that time. We had a, I'll say a huge first two. We were going out at, Typically, we were out about five to six dues. There were a couple of times where we ended up on the far west end of the county. I run auto accident town on interstate sixty six on the rescue, and that that's pretty good distance for a word. <laughs> that's <laughs> roughly a twenty
0: mile spread,
1: yeah, so yeah. I had been out, yeah, we ran all lot, and of course, I mean, we were also the way our dispatch was, the rescue company wasn't on structure fires we were added on. It was expected that we added on structure fires and we were given parameters of where, how far out we were allowed to go. I couldn't just pick any structure fire to go to. It had to be within one, two or three, third deal that we were allowed to go to. Auto accidents were automatically dispatched to if there was a report of an entrapment. So we did, we, we had times where we didn't run a lot, And we would start getting on each other's nerves. Like I said, the crew that we had there, it was a great crew. And we would sit there and argue and bicker with each other like brothers would. When we got bored and we weren't running calls, we would start getting on each other's nerves.
0: Yeah. There's something about that boredom in a firehouse that brings it out of you.
1: Yeah. But then it would hit and we'd run, we'd have a day where you'd run two vehicle extrications and a structure fire on the same day and.
0: All that left. Yeah, Uh, all the quote unquote good came back.
1: Yeah, all the good. And we did. we ran some good calls and we ran some shitty calls. You have to do a lot of good things and helping people. And there were some things that, where you just couldn't. I did not, I really did not think that things were creeping up and bothering me. I would have nightmares. Those were a given. And I just rolled with them. I was having sleepless nights. I just rolled with them. I never really thought anything more about it. I thought the nightmares were just, this is part of the job. You're going to have nightmares about stuff that you see. Things are going to bother you. There was a reoccurring nightmare that I had for years, even from when I was a volunteer that started after the trailer park fire. That kept coming back. We would replay again and again. It was always the same thing over and over. The while, I did start becoming a little bit more hypervigilant. I didn't, I didn't really know that it was that at the time, but I do now. I was becoming more hypervigilant about things, watching everything that was going around, going on around me. I was super hypervigilant when I was with my kids out places, watching people and also started to become more protective over my children or, but I was also, I had to have that happy medium where I was worried about them going out and getting hurt or something happening to them. I would lay down in bed at night and have a night or, or a dream about my son going out riding his bike and getting hit by a car. And that, of course, would scare the shit out of me. I'd wake up and I was worried that was really going to happen, that this type of thing was going to truly happen. That dream was foreshadowing something. But I also had to let my kids have their freedom. I couldn't be that hovering parent that didn't allow them to do anything. I let my kids have their freedom and be able to go out and do the things that they wanted to do, but I was worried. I was at home worried, and I didn't feel comfortable until everybody back in the house again that night. Didn't put those things together that there's little things from being in the fire service were starting now to affect me at home and affect the way that I just guess looked at everything. I didn't trust anybody, but I also didn't have, have enough trust or in people to even be able to open up and tell anyone about this stuff. I didn't talk to my wife about it, and I definitely didn't talk to anybody at work about it. So
0: just kept it to myself and we went on. So you do that for a few years. You, again, you're adding your calls, you're adding your, the things that are going on inside you and you're not sharing with anybody. And then you come to 2007, which turns out to be a, as we have in the notes, a very tumultuous year. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it starts with your grandmother, correct?
1: Yeah. My grandmother passes away in 2007 in February. I'm in the EMT refresher class, which is like Painful enough as it is to go through EMT refresher and you're out of the field, not getting calls. And I get the phone call that she passed away and that, that hurt because again, I had a great relationship with my grandmother. She was always the one that wanted to know how I was doing, how things were going. She's the only one in the family that would ask, hey, how are things at the fire department? What are you doing? She was a huge supporter of me. Her death hurt. We did, we knew it was coming, watched her start going downhill. She had dementia and a couple of years leading up to her to pass away. We just watched her fade away. And it was a hard thing to do. It was a hard thing to go through. But yeah, so she passes
0: away and then, um. Hey guys, quick break right here, just to check in and thank each of you for listening to the show. Your support has been paramount, and I appreciate all of you. I have one request, though. I need you to share the show with everyone you know. Help me get the word out and spread these stories as far and as wide as we can. While you're at it, please leave a review of the show wherever you happen to listen. Feel free to reach out to me at any time to share your story, to talk, or to pass on suggestions. Let's get on with the rest of the show. April
1: comes around. And we have probably the worst call that any firefighter can run. And that's where we have fatality, a firefighter fatality. So this is going to be hard to get into. So April 16th of 2007, we get to work that morning. That night, I remember it vividly because we had a nasty, a really bad windstorm come through, Winds were gusting, there were 30, gusting up to 50, 60, and 70 miles an hour. I remember listening to the wind just beating against our house and I'm laying there in bed waiting to hear a tree fall. I can't sleep that night. It's a Sunday night, so I can't sleep listening to the wind and everything. And there was also just an odd feeling. Like I had an odd feeling just about that something wasn't right. Something wasn't good. Even driving into work that morning, just something was weird. Something was off. And I don't know if that was just me or whatever, but that's all that I distinctly remember is that just, I had a weird feeling about that day. Something just wasn't right. But we get to work and um, we weren't allowed to get our gear on the apparatus stay- until 0600 in the morning. Cause the volunteers were there. They were supposed to get up and take any call up to 0-600, 0600, 0600 when we were allowed to get on the apparatus. So we're sitting in that bay next to the apparatus and just having our morning chit chat. Everybody's there getting a cup of coffee and talking and um, call rolls in for a structure fire. No different than anything else. We get our gear out of our lockers. We're getting onto the rigs. We are a little delayed because of the fact that we've got a Right then we gotta get our stuff out of our lockers. I don't think, I wanna tell myself that this would've made a difference if we were ready and had our stuff on there 10, 15 minutes ahead of time. I don't know. Deep down in my heart, I feel like it would've made a difference, but I don't know. So we roll out, first engine and truck, they mark on the scene, fire showing, and uh, we're rolling up to it. It's still dark outside, the wind is kicking. And as we're coming down the road, I could see between the houses just the amount of fire coming off of the rear of the structure. And I think, oh, wow, this is going to be good. This is going to be a good fire. So we get there up on the scene, marking on the scene. My guys get off. And in typical fashion, they get off, they got their stuff, run up. One firefighter yells back, I got your R and the camera, hurry the fuck up. <laughs> And I'm just shaking, I laugh about it now, but I heard that all the time. Hurry the hall, hurry up, hurry up. And uh, this call was totally different because I remember instead of rushing up to the call, I walked down the street and I'm just taking in everything that's going on and I'm looking at this house and I'm seeing flames, the wind's kicking it and the flames shooting up off of the roof. I, I swear like 20 foot in the air. And I dropped passport off at the first new company. Our engine work, just like we're supposed to do. I get up in the front yard and all of a sudden the front yard is just covered. Choking out in smoke and embers coming off of the house because of the way the wind is blowing. Um, a firefighter walks up to me. The smoke is so bad. He walks right up into my face and says, here's your bar. Here's the thermal. Set them down at my feet. I'm getting my face peaceful. So they're at the front door, getting ready to go in. The truck crew has already gone in. They went up to the second floor to do the search. We're going to go do the search on the first floor. Hose lines at the door, getting charged. And uh, I get up to the front door and all of a sudden the door slams shut, and we can't get it open. And we got two guys in the house. And flames, fire just starts coming out everywhere now. And we're sitting there pushing on the door, pushing on the door. And finally we get the door open, reach in. Grab one of the guys off the stairs, bring him out, it's a Lieutenant. And he's got him out on the step and he's yelling, Kyle's still in there. Kyle's still in there. Shit. Where? They were right together. They got separated. So I call on a Mayday. And then right after I get done calling on Mayday, Kyle calls in his Mayday and we go into rescue mode. We got to get in there and get him. And his report is that he's in the stairwell. So we get the hose line, fires. Every house is gone now. What ended up happening? Fire got up into the attic. See, I guess the wind and everything. Ceiling came down. They got separated up on the second floor. The lieutenant got blown down the stairwell. And I'm not exactly sure what happened to Carl, Con- but they got separated up there. So once we are able to get in and start making the entry, we are going up into the stairwell, we got to the landing and we're trying to go any further and the fire is just so intense that we can't, there's only so far that we can go. Evacuation is called and we're not leaving. We don't have them yet. We delayed a little bit longer. What seemed like forever being in this house wasn't that long, 50,000 things are going through my mind. We just, but we're still, we're searching that stairwell. We even, he makes another call and a command comes back over saying, you have a firefighter in the stairwell. Things get a little confusing as far as the command perspective, cause our radios crap out on us. Command couldn't get in touch with me. I couldn't hear anything or even talk on my radio. I had gotten water in the microphone. I'm not even sure how that happened to be honest with you, but, um, Finally, while the guys comes down the stairs and says, we got to get out of here. The ceiling start, the roof's coming down. And then again, for the, another time, evacuation is ordered. So we end up evacuating the house. I am everybody come out of the house, counting, making sure I've got all, everybody out there. I know everybody's out. I look up the stairwell again. And there's just this, I know I'm walking out without somebody. We didn't bring him out. So I walk out on the front step and I'm met by battalion chief. Is everybody out of the house? No. And then I start all of a sudden freaking out because I don't see my guys. And I'm looking through all the smoke and everybody, I mean, there are firefighters, everywhere. I mean, from what went to, went from being an engine, a truck, and a rescue company being there, that now I've got the, everybody in the world out front. And so I'm trying to pick my guys out. I, finally, I find them, take that deep sigh of relief that, okay, all, everybody's accounted for. I got everybody that was in there with them. They end up going defensive on the fire. And I tell the battalion chief, we need to get back in there. I have a feeling he's not on the stairwell, but he's not far away from it. He's like, all right. Go get another cylinder, take a break. I'm going to get you back, or you guys are going back in. So that's what we do. We're sitting there. We're in the front yard. We're in front of the house. We're just waiting to go in. We're just waiting for them to say, go. And we're sitting there talking and making a plan of what we're going to do. I turn around, and here comes, there were extra alarms coming in. The rescue company that was on the west end of the county, which had been formed about a year prior to this fire, they come walking up. And I look, and there's just one of my good friends right there coming down the street, and there's a sigh of relief. And I look at him, and I'm just like, ah, "Calvary's here. Now we're gonna get this done." And uh, we meet, we talk a little bit, and then all of a sudden, everybody from the first alarm gets ordered to go away from the building and go to another house, to go to a garage. I'm like, Wait a minute. We got a job we still have to do. We got somebody in this house. We need to go get him out. We're not finished. No, you guys need to leave. (laughs) No. Long story, we end up in all over in this garage. Kyle ended up getting found by companies that came in after he was. It doesn't matter where he was. And it just, I'm in shock that we just went through this that everything had played out. Because up to that time, we had never lost a firefighter in the line of duty like that in our county, so this was the first one. And besides the police officer that got shot, this never been on anything that just hurt so bad. It just, there were so many emotions, it's hard to even know where to start. This the, It just, it was bad. It sucked. All of us are, our crew were keeping together. We ended up. All everyone on the first line gets whisked away to uh, another firehouse. Because of the investigation, because of the fatality, now the fire marshal's office, they want to do their investigation. They want to try to make sure they're getting things right. So they take everybody away from the scene so that we can write down everything that we did. And it sucked that we had to go do this, but I understand why we had to do this. And then after we're done with that, the department the right thing was done, we were all sent home. They had filling crews coming in and we were given the rest of the day off. This also April 16th, if I guess that people in Virginia remember or know, this is also the day that there was a shooting at Virginia Tech campus. So the incident with Kyle happened and evidently there was a lot of reporters and TV crews on the way to our incident when Virginia Tech happened and everybody got moved or sent over to Virginia Tech, which I guess in a way is a good thing because we didn't have all those, all the reporters and all that stuff happening around the incident. It was just a shitty day in Virginia. Our union hall gets opened up. Anybody wants to go over there can go over there. It's a place to go, sit back, talk to people. Problem is we also have alcohol. So I definitely am having a hard time putting everything to perspective just of the day and have a few drinks and now it's time to go home. So I'm driving home and on my way home, all I hear on the radio is just everything coverage of Virginia Tech and I'm getting angry now and I'm thinking we just had a firefighter lose his life and all you fuckers could talk about is Virginia Tech and I'm angry that's all that there is on the radio to the point where i even punched the radio in my truck because i don't want to hear this anymore and i'm having a hard time dealing with the fact that we lost somebody that i walked out of a house without a guy we didn't rescue him and as bad as virginia tech was i'm angry now for some reason and i'm angry that's on the radio i get home with my family. They know what's happened. I called my wife from the incident that morning and told her. And yeah, I just, it's a quiet night, spending with my kids and everything. And I'm happy to be with them that week or the, I guess it's about a week. Yeah. It's about a week before we had the funeral services and everything. And uh, it was a hard week to go through. Everybody was hurting and I remember we went to, or uh, the next day, Happened to me on my day off, because we only work four days a week. We were still in the 12 hour days. So I go to Kyle's firehouse and I hang out with those guys for a little bit, but just, I couldn't be at home. And those, they were all our friends. We ran calls together, but we also did stuff outside of work together. We were all friends. So went there, and hung out with them for a little while. And then the next day, come back to work. And we're just going through the motions of work, or at least I am. I'm there, but I'm not there. The department sends us out. We're going to go and get our cl- everybody, every, they're, they're making all the plans and everything, they have outside help coming in helping with the funeral services, helping do all, get everything straight. Everybody in the department's getting outfitted for class A uniforms. Remember we went over to our supply warehouse and they sent us over there on the, on the rescue. And so we get there and everybody, you know, they're just I don't know, a lot of people there and everybody's coming up to us, shaking our hands and they're trying to do the right thing. I don't know. I honestly don't remember any conversations whatsoever. I just know it bothered me. It bothered me that people were coming up to us, shaking our hands and like being appreciative of what that we worked our asses off to try and go get a brother firefighter. It didn't sit right. It just wasn't because I felt now I'm a failure. I don't deserve anybody coming up to me, telling me that me or anyone that we did our job. I felt like the worst I've ever felt. I mean, it just, nothing sat right. There's one night we all get together with the guys from Kyle's company. We were actually after work, our company, we we're sitting together, having a few beers together. We get a phone call. Hey, we're over at such-and-such's house. So you guys need to come over here. Uh, nah, we don't want to bother Come on over. You guys need your time to get, no, you guys get your asses over here. Now, we want you here with us. Okay. So we all pack up, we go over there and we just spend the night together, having a good time. Talking about things, the beer flowing really well, but it was a night that I think every one of us needed together too. It really was a little bit of a night of, I don't want to say healing, but it was just a night together. It was just our company and Kyle's company. And then I remember the morning, of the services, I'm at home getting ready to go. And I just don't want to do this. Don't want to go through this. Wife and I, we get into the car and we start heading out there. And, um, that's, I think the first time that I broke down and actually started where my, it wasn't anger anymore. Yeah. I just started crying. I'm driving down the road and now I'm crying because we're going to go say goodbye. <laughs> and I guess I was that big of a mess because I remember she's like, you want me to drive? Do you need to pull over and I'll drive? And I'm no. We get out there, our crew is together. We get separated just a little bit there at the services, but we're all set together and everything. And now my focus is I got to take care of these guys because I see the look on their faces. And it just, it was killing me, the look on their faces, just the pain that they were feeling. And now it's my job to help them. No matter what, I need to help them through this. And that's what the next couple of months became was being there for not only the guys in the rescue company, but the guys on the engine company too. And our ambulance was, was there. We had a new captain come in. He didn't really know us that well. And he did leave things up to me to take care of what was going on in the company. And uh, so it was, that was the focus. We had a lot of people, i say a lot of people. We had people come in by the firehouse here and there. They had sent counselors by. The counselors really didn't do much of anything. They would come in. They would go sit in the kitchen. No one would go talk to them, and they would leave. I don't know. They even knew what to say or what to do, but they were no help whatsoever. We had fire chiefs coming in. They were absolutely no help. Not once did I have a chief officer come up to me, take us aside, and go, what do you guys need? What do you need? What can we do? Instead, we had also our people coming in and going back to headquarters and reporting, Brian's got these guys pissed off. They're sitting in dark rooms. They won't talk to us. They're angry. Brian's the one doing this. How in the world that guy happened? I don't know. It is true that uh, a lot of the guys didn't want to talk to the chiefs because they came in. And they just had nothing to say to him. What do you, you don't want to hear some of the stuff that chief officers had to say. And everybody knows sometimes you get a chief officer coming in and the things that they're tra- telling you, you just really don't care about. And we had some of that. We had a battalion chief come in and flat out look at us and tell us, you guys need to forget about this and move on with your lives. And that, that stuck to me. That pissed me off so much. How in the fuck do you come in here and tell a group of people that? Look what guys at. No, don't tell us to forget about it, and move on with our lives. How about, hey, what can I do to help you? That's what was needed. So your life went back to running calls, Um, every day coming in, talking. The one thing and back on the hot wash thing, and I don't know if it hurt or if it would have helped, but we. As a company, never did a hot wash. We never actually sat down and talked about this call. Even to this day, there have been like little conversations here and there, but we've never actually opened up and talked to each other about this call. I know everybody was hurting and I know some guy, some just didn't want to talk about it, they wanted the time to start dealing with things. But as time started going on and getting further and further away, and then you get back into life, you just the opportunity of sitting down and actually opening up and talking to each other passed us by. And we never did. And that has always stuck with me. That has always stuck with me in my mind that I failed everybody on that aspect that we didn't sit down. I mean, I did everything I could to help everybody. Through this whole thing, but that little tiny thing eats at me. I don't know if it would have made a difference or not, but it eats at me. I forget what the time frame is. I think it was a month or two. We had uh, the three guys from New York City Fire Department's counseling unit came down, and they were with the two officers that worked with Kyle in Kyle Station, and they hung out with them for the day and were talking with them and doing stuff with them or helping them out. And then later that afternoon, there was a meeting with everybody that was on that first alarm sign with these guys. They kind of had them sitting at a table and just talking to us about dealing with death of a firefighter and taking questions and things like that. And we all sat back and we waited for everybody to leave. Once this whole thing was over with everybody else, we waited for everybody to leave and we asked them if they had a few more minutes to sit and talk. And so our company sat down, had a good talk with them, just A one-on-one talking with these guys, and that is something that we needed. That is truly something that we needed. And I remember during the conversation, one of the guys, who's the captain of the counseling unit, looked at me and he asked me how I was doing. I was like, all right, I'm doing okay. And he asked me what I was doing to take care of myself. And I didn't have an answer for him. And he told me, you need to make sure you're doing something to take care of yourself. My answer of taking care of myself is I was going home at night because I wasn't sleeping at night, going home almost every night after work, having drinks, and then falling asleep, having nightmares, getting up and going back to work the next morning, and then taking care of two younger kids. And my kids weren't really that young, but they were still little, but I really, I wasn't, my focus was on everybody else and I thought there would always be taking care of everybody else would help me take care of myself, but it wasn't. Nightmares got worse. Lack of sleep got worse. Anxiety, the fear of being away from my company. And that something was going to happen to them while I was gone. Really? I mean, that shortly after Kyle's funeral, my sister got married. We had to go down to Myrtle beach for her wedding. And I was afraid to be down there. Cause I was afraid that something was going to happen back home. And I wasn't at home. And that was happening even more on my days off and everything. So my. We just continued through the year. About October rolls around. I think it's October or November. And I find out that my grandmother's sister, and my aunt, passes away from suicide. She is the one aunt that sticks out in the family, always has the family reunions, the gatherings. We've always gone over to her house from when I was little. She lived up in Cambridge, Maryland. So going over there was a huge treat. We'll always. Blue crabs, and it was wonderful. And she was. She was also the one who was always sending out birthday cards. I mean, up until her death, even as old as I, I was getting a birthday card from her every year. She sent my kids birthday cards with a little bit of money, and she was just, she was a wonderful woman. And her second husband had passed away, and then my grandmother had passed away. She was going through some depression and ended up taking her life. And that was another, another family member passing passed away that hurt a lot. And we had made plans when we were sitting down, we were talking at my grandmother's funeral about having everybody to get together during the summer, and that just never panned out. And I wanted to go to her funeral, but I was afraid to go to her funeral. I was afraid to not be at work and I didn't go and it sucks. I do regret it, but I had to be at work. Somebody had to be there taking care of stuff because things that were going on around the firehouse weren't good. But also there was that fear that something was going to happen again. And that fear lasted for a while. One of the biggest things that I took away from it is what are you doing to take care of yourself? And that has come, that that question has popped up into my head time after time again, and I never had an answer for it. But then something else would happen and I move on to the next thing and not worry about taking care of myself.
0: And in that year, you start to worry more about taking care of your crew, like we talked about, and that's where your focus lies.
1: Yeah. Right after a short, or I'm going to say just weeks after that fire, my captain came to me and took me aside and said, you need to watch your back. They're coming for you. I'm like, what? And he told me flat out that there were. Let's see. I don't want to say this the right way because I know there are so many people that listen to this. The department wanted to break our crew up. They were coming after me and transfer all of us. Get get us off the rescue. And I'm thinking that's not a good thing. You know that. So I, of course I went into protection mode. We got to stop this from happening. We don't need to be broke up right now. We need each other right now. And that subject, he kept coming back to me and telling me that every now and then to watch my back, they're
0: watching and they're going to do something. What are they watching? What's the, what do you believe the thought process was about why they would want to split the crew up? Cause we were too tight. We were a tight crew. We got along, not only
1: at work. We hung out together after work, our families and everything. And for the longest time, the department didn't like that. When you keep a crew together, they become strong. And and they work good together and everything else. But if you keep moving them around, they don't become strong. Then they're not a threat to management. I didn't think of us as a threat to management or a threat to anybody, but the rescue is always and I think this happens in a lot of departments From talking to people right on rescue companies, they always get the short end of the stick sometimes or they're looked at as thinking of themselves as being elite when they're just out there doing their job and doing what needs to be done. But I guess sometimes they just get the, the wrong impression about it and with the people that were coming into the firehouse, the chiefs that were coming into the firehouse and looking around and watching and going back and reporting, oh, Brian's doing this and Brian's doing that. And Brian's got these guys all angry and pissed off. And I, there was a wrong impression about what was going on. Cause none of that was happening. And I knew there were some people out there that problems with us, they didn't like, just didn't like us. When I confronted, I confronted a couple of people and asked them flat out if we were being broken up or being looked at, and I was told no. And then of course the transfers come around, I forget June, July timeframe, something like that. And my senior guy gets, which I mean, that hurt all of us, especially for him. He gets sent off to another firehouse with people that weren't even involved in the fire, and now he doesn't have a support system. His support system's through the telephone or when we get together, and that was a bad situation. We still had people coming, looking in. A lot of that stopped after we got a new fire chief. The department, or, or the fire chief that we had left the department, and we got a chief that came up through the ranks, took over, and we had a good, we started to form a good relationship with him. He actually took interest in what was going on and came by the firehouse and talked to us, he even rode with us one day, uh, one afternoon on the rescue, which I thought was a amazing. And we went out on an auto accident and it was just a simple stabilization to get the person out of the vehicle. But he was amazed by watching us work together and how there was very little conversation. Everybody knew what their job was. Everybody took care of what needed to be done. And he took me aside, and I remember this conversation. He was just really impressed with how everything flowed. But there was very little talking amongst us, so very little direction that I had to give. And that's the way it should be. And things got be- a little bit better after that.
0: Things seemed to ease up. Do you ever find yourself care? Do you ever take care of yourself during that year?
1: Yes. One of the guys I worked with had started talking with a counselor or a therapist, and he came to me and took me aside and said, hey, I think you need to go talk to this person. And it So I did. I took his advice, went through, and got her contact and made contact with, with this, with her, and went and saw her a few times. And it did help, but it also didn't help. I really didn't have that connection. And the other thing too is after my last experience with talking to somebody, There was no trust there. I, and this person didn't try pushing, or drugs or anything like that at all. But there was that lack of trust there on, on my part where I did not tell everything that I needed to tell. And I think, you know, that also probably hampered anything at all getting done or getting resolved. But I did go, we did go down sit down and talk, but we mostly talked about my experiences in that fire. And that's what it was mostly about. Nothing else that
0: happened in the years prior to that. It was just about that year. What are some of the things that affect you? You know, obviously Kyle's death affects you and affects everybody that was involved in it or in the department at the time. But what are some of the things that, how did it manifest in you, those effects? Well, How did those manifest in you? What were you doing to deal with some of the, we'll call them demons? Really not much anything. I guess just
1: rolling or just letting them play out like the nightmares or even just laying down in bed. As soon as I went up to bed, I lay there in the dark and images of the fire would pop into my head and I would just toss and turn, but they wouldn't go anywhere. And I didn't know what to do with them or where to put them. Or how to even deal with them, and if I was lucky to fall asleep, because there was a lot of nights where I laid there awake all night long with just thoughts going through my head. It could start off with the fire, and it could roll with, okay, we got this to do tomorrow. We got this, and training, and just laying there with your mind just not shutting off. And if I did wake up or fall asleep, there could be a nightmare in there. Something just out of the ordinary that didn't even happen, but it was a nightmare. And wake up in a cold sweat and probably stay up the rest of the night after. I didn't know what to do with them. I truly didn't. One of the things I do remember when I did was seeing that therapist talking about is those aren't real. The images that you might see in, in your brain and everything when you first lay down, those are real. that you bring or your mind bringing stuff back up again, that really happened, but the nightmares aren't real. And you need to tell yourself that, that they're not real, but that didn't help. It didn't work. Nightmares have been something that had, I've had for a year or, or a long time, as far back as I can remember. And even just laying down and having the thoughts of something happening. I can remember when I was a kid, or not when I was a kid, but when my kids were little, just laying there in bed, and my mind just wouldn't shut off. And I would start worrying about if something happening to my kids, like my son being out riding his bike and getting hit by a car or something like that. And those things pop into your head because you've dealt with them and it's not real and you can't keep your kids just in the house and locked down under lock and key they gotta have their freedom and everything but like little things like that would come into my head and they intensified after marsh overlock they were always there but they actually got worse after we had that fire and i truly just didn't know what to do with them So, yeah, when it came to helping myself and doing things for myself, I dealt, I would dive into my work. I would keep myself busy. So the fire department, which always was a very big part of my life, became an
0: even bigger part of my life. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Things We All Carry. Head over to the website thethingsweallcarry.com for show notes, resources, and to sign up for the newsletter. Until next week, take care of yourselves and remember to check in on each other.